Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers, and we welcome back Tom Campbell. Tom Campbell has been a longtime associate, friend, and pal of mine for years. He, of course, was best known for being the creator, executive producer, and moderator of the TV program, the long-running TV program, North Carolina Spin on W on UNC TV. And uh, Tom, we we missed that broadcast. I think you just told me it was two years ago when you signed off the last program. After right. how many shows did you do? Eleven hundred and fifty-four. Eleven hundred and fifty-four shows. See, that proves that you know you can't hold on to a job. <laughs> Well, uh, my career record pretty well demonstrates that. <laughs> but you talk, uh, you talk about that. I remember the newspaper article that was written about you, and you were described as a boy wonder when you first oh, built a television uh, radio station in Cherryville, and then from there all over Eastern Carolina. And so, you know, somebody ought to be roasting you. <laughs> well, I've been roasted and toasted. And let's do that. Let's put together a Don Curtis roast. Oh, okay. no. We, that's yeah, about the last thing we need to do. I, there, there are a lot of those memories I don't want to remember. <laughs> I know, but you need to. <laughs> Pain is good. <laughs> uh, well, enough of that. Let's talk about what's going on today. And, you know, there's, there's a, I want to talk about Medicaid expansion, but, uh, Tom, we were talking about how uh, things change. Would you have thought 10 years ago we would have even been thinking about legalizing any form of marijuana, let alone medical marijuana? But uh, the General Assembly is uh, certainly looking at that issue. And uh, uh, But there's lots of other issues that 10 years ago I think we probably wouldn't have looked at at all. Uh, I just uh, had my uh, high school reunion, and we were looking back at things that, that were normal back in 1950 and 1960 that have gone away, like SNH green stamps and things like that. Sunday blue laws, you mentioned. Blue yeah. laws, yeah, yeah, and all that sort of thing. But let's talk about the General Assembly and uh, uh, and exactly what they're doing, especially uh, let's first talk about mer- medical marijuana, and then we'll talk about Medicaid expansion. Well, first of all, on medical marijuana, um, you know, we are, we're late to the party there because so many other states have already approved medical marijuana. and. And frankly, it is a precursor of approving marijuana. So I, I think that it's kind of like the old laws that we had on alcohol in North Carolina, where we had brown bagging laws. And then uh, it took forever. And you might remember uh, old Coy Privet, uh, Privet or Privet, whatever his name was, who was in the legislature and just was a Southern Baptist and we were not going to pass liquor by the drink in North Carolina. Well, guess what we did. And so I think it's the same type of process. It's like this legalized gambling stuff um, with college sports. I think it's a precursor to the day when we're going to have casinos in North Carolina. They're not just all going to be on Indian reservations. Um, or, or in Kings Mountain. Or <laughs> it's questionable whether that's on an Indian reservation or not. It's questionable whether it's in North Carolina or not, but anyway. Uh, but I think I, I think that as mores change, as as the culture changes, as time changes, and as attitudes change with them, um, some will say that the the culture and the society has gotten a great deal more permissive and promiscuous. But 
this is a this is an issue whose time has come. Uh, it's going to get approved, whether it gets approved right now or not. Uh, it's going to get approved, and it will not be many more years. Hopefully, you and I will still be alive uh, when the day comes that, that such things as marijuana sales uh, are approved. Not that you ever used it or I ever used it, but that people that there are people who do and did. Um, I just think that's one of those situations where uh, we're going to see it pass, and uh, the legislature is rightfully reluctant to get too far out in front of the curve on on a lot of issues. But I think this is one that is going to happen, and I think that and and look at the endorsements that that it's gotten. Look how many organizations have approved it, uh, particularly medical uh, type organizations have approved it for pain control. So, yeah, I think that's going to happen. Let's talk now about Medicaid expansion because that has been on the table, off the table, on the table. Where does it stand now, and uh, what will it mean to North Carolina? Well, truthfully, I've never. Yes, I do understand why we didn't do it. You know, when they passed the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, if you want to call it that, when they passed that, they also allowed for uh, what was supposedly a temporary exemption for states to be able to expand their Medicaid roles. Now, why is this important? Uh, There are a number of people in North Carolina who do not earn the income and do not have any kind of health insurance. And so therefore, what ends up with happening with these people is when they get, first of all, they put off going to doctors because they can't afford it. But then when they do go to the doctors, they they require a great deal more treatment than they would have if they'd have gone, you know, maybe a week or two before. Uh, Or the other option is they go into our emergency departments in the hospitals. In fact, I think you I remember you used to serve on the UNC hospital board uh, some years ago. Yeah. Amount of indigent care. The federal government has a law which says Nobody who shows up at their door can be refused treatment and service, particularly for not being able to pay for it. So they got to treat them. And uh, this they call it indigent care. And this indigent care is a growing amount of money every year. Well, part of what makes so much sense for Medicaid expansion is twofold, I think. First of all, it will allow people who do not have any medical insurance whatsoever to be added to the rolls. Now, my understanding is originally when they first started talking about it, they were saying it was going to be as many as 500,000 people in North Carolina. Um, We've expanded some Medicare rules, and uh, I'm now told that somewhere around 200,000 people in North Carolina would be added to the Medicaid rolls. So, they, there will be people who will be able to have access to health care who don't feel that they have access to it now. The other part of it, though, is it, it's going to take a huge burden off of our hospitals. And, and whereas we've got hospitals like UNC that uh, they're healthy and they generate lots of dollars and generally have a fair amount of cash reserves, there are an awful lot of rural, small uh, county hospitals in North Carolina that don't have that kind of uh, balance sheet and don't have that kind of financial strength. This will help them immeasurably because instead of having to pr- 
provide this health care as indigent care, they will get compensation back from the federal government on Medicaid. Now, the curious thing about it is when it was first offered uh, and, and it was shortly after, if you remember, it was shortly after uh, uh, 2011 when the Republicans took over state uh, control of state government, the General Assembly in North Carolina. When it happened, there were a number of people who just said, I don't want anything to do with it because it's got Obama's uh, stamp on it. It's, it's, it, it's, it smells of Obama and we don't want anything to do with Barack Obama. And that stayed the, the case uh, for a number of years, but increasingly a number of states, uh, Republican controlled states signed on for this Medicare, a Medicaid expansion. Now, the deal was that the federal government would pay 90 cents of every dollar of care for Medicaid and that uh, the states would be responsible for 10 percent. Well, uh, another aspect of this was, well, we don't know how long the federal government's going to do it. They may renege on this. Uh, They may change the formula instead of offering 90 cents reimbursement. They they may take it down to more like what the regular Medicaid uh, reimbursement is, which is around 65 to 70 cents on the dollar. Uh, and we just don't know about that. And we don't want our state to incur a, a huge ongoing liability going forward. Well, I think time has proved that uh, the old adage that once you offer a, bu- a public benefit to people, you can't take it back. Uh, and, and evidence of that is Social Security and Medicare for, for elder, uh, elderly people. Um, it's not going to go away. Uh, now, I don't know how the government's going to pay for it, and I think that's another issue for another day. <laughs> finally, they got to a point where the House uh, was willing to approve Medicaid expansion, uh, even when it was as many as 300,000 people to expand. But the Senate wouldn't hear anything to do with it. And uh, everybody was just beating on Senator Berger and all of the, the senators. And you got to give us Medicaid expansion, close the coverage gap, make sure people get the treatment that they need. Finally, uh, Senator Berger and the, the Senate leadership decided that they would go along with it and with two provisions. The first one being, that we would eliminate North Carolina's certificate of need laws. Well, certificate of need is something that was passed in the 60s or 70s where a government had to approve every new hospital bed and every new operating room and uh, every new healthcare kind of uh, treatment center. Uh, And frankly, it's archaic, needs to be eliminated, needed to have been eliminated for years. Uh, Candidly, the hospitals uh, have, have been on both sides of that issue, and medical providers have been, but it needs to be eliminated. And so, uh, uh, Berger says, "Okay, I will, I will approve Medicaid expansion, but we're going to get rid of certificate of need." Well, there are not any tears being shed over that. Not many, anyway. The other thing he said, though, and this is causing some uh, pushback, and I think it's part of the problem, uh, so far as the House is concerned. The thing with that is he wants to expand uh, the, the uh, rights of service for nurses. As it stands now, nurse practitioners and physician's assistants and people of that uh, that have a little bit higher um, 
credentials, they're a little bit more than just a regular nurse or whatever, um, they have to serve under an MD. And the MD is supposed to approve any and everything uh, that they do or give them permission to do it uh, supposedly prior to that. It doesn't work that way. It hasn't worked that way for years. However, expanding uh, the, the amount of service that these providers can give is causing some heartburn, particularly from the North Carolina Medical Association and other uh, care providers who don't think we ought to just throw open the doors and let nurses do whatever uh, they need to do. And uh, it's kind of a Pandora's box type situation. So now we've got a situation where, where the House was willing to approve it and the Senate wasn't. Now the Senate's willing to approve it and the House is balking. So who knows, Don? It's crazy. Well, you've uh, uh, wrapped that uh, issue up very well and just in time because our segment is coming to an end. Thank you very much for your perfect timing. Uh, we'll be back with another segment with Tom Campbell, our guest here on Carolina Newsmakers this week. And we're going to turn to just sort of a look at uh, the past election that we just had. Brad Crone was on a couple, has been on and is discussing, but we'll get Tom's views. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers right here on this group of stations. Hey, Dad. How do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Tom Campbell, the uh, former moderator of North Carolina Spin that ended its uh, 24-year run, uh, some uh, or 22-year run, uh, two years ago. And people still ask Tom, you know, when you going to come back? And we'll, we'll address that in the last segment, maybe find out uh, what his future plans are. But right now, let's talk about the, uh, the primary that we just had and the upcoming election and uh, what your views and opinions are on the various races. I think generally speaking, from what I can gather myself, is that uh, everything turned out pretty much like people expected. But uh, you may have a different view. So share your thoughts. No, I, I, have, I totally agree. Uh, um, there were very, very few surprises uh, in that election. Um, 
Madison Cawthorn's uh, uh, defeat up in, uh, I guess, what was it, the 13th district? Um, that some were surprised by that, but the whole uh, <coughs> Republican, mainstream Republicans in North Carolina uh, were backing his uh, opponent there. Uh, and uh, he had been such a, a, an outlandish character himself that. I think it gave me some heart from the standpoint that it it said that uh, the electorate is not willing to put up with just anything and everything in elected officials. They're, they they do have standards and they are going to uh, vote those uh, those standards when when they go to the polls. But I think the most of the rest of it was pretty much along the lines of of, of what uh, people had expected. I think it's going to end up being uh, it, I, it was overall, it was a good year. If you were a Republican, uh, I, I think Donald Trump had sort of a mixed bag so far as his endorsements were concerned. But uh, Ted Budd certainly uh, won and won a lot handier than I think. The one surprise I got out of this was uh, Pat McCrory didn't do any better than he did uh, in that primary for the U.S. Senate race. Uh, yeah, because he started out well ahead. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that, uh, of course, the Club for Growth supposedly put somewhere between 20 and $30 million in advertising and uh, in campaign help uh, for Ted Budd. And uh, I don't think there's any question about the fact that, that it paid off. But I do think, Don, it, it probably raises a question that we ought to be talking about more as we get closer to the 24 elections. And that is the influence of big money and the influence of these independent expenditure groups. And I understand the Supreme Court's ruling that uh, corporations are treated to be treated the same as individuals. And so therefore they can make contribution, political contributions and so forth. But these independent expenditure groups, we call them dark money groups. Um, the problem I have with them is they have license, literally, to say anything they want and do anything they want. Anybody can give them any amount of money that they want, and they can conduct a hatchet campaign on you as well as they can. I mean, we're seeing this right now with Sherry Beasley. Uh, they're conducting a hash, hatchet campaign on her for the U.S. Senate race. In fact, it started the day after the primary election was over with. And it doesn't make any difference. Uh, the, the big deal is this. It is huge sums of money, and we don't have any idea in the world who's giving that money. Uh, I would have a lot less trouble if the laws were changed and it, it so that you had to identify every single donor, where they live, and how much money they gave. And that way we could better tell who really is influencing our elections. Um, anyway, those those are sort of my takeaways from the May seventeenth primary. Yeah, the uh, you know the so-called dark money. The, the biggest problem with that from a, a provider of, of time for advertising is that uh, we have to negotiate uh, because the copy they send in usually is not acceptable, and yeah. uh, you you wouldn't believe how much softer it actually ends up being. And what is originally proposed in most cases? Well, I've, because I've, yeah, radio television stations turn it down. I've been involved on it from the station 
side and the choke provider side. And I know about that. And, and by the way, the message there is as horrible, as ugly, as nasty as those commercials are to, to realize that they've been softened by the TV stations <laughs> and radio stations. They've been softened. Uh, it really makes them bad. Well, and now, of course, it's different when the candidate buys it, and the public needs to remember that the candidate at the end of the ad usually gives their name and says they approve of this message. And those ads, uh, we are exempt from, from editing, but generally speaking, because they have to stand by their ads, they are far more responsible in what they say. Well, is the law still that on federal elections, they have have uh, provisions for uh, amount of time and can say what they want? And is state collections more controlled? Well, I think we've followed the same principle, whether it's uh, it, the rules change in and out. And, and, you know, to be very honest, I'm not sure what the current rule is right now. I don't uh, handle that part of the business. But uh, uh, but generally speaking, I think the candidates are far more responsible because their name is on it and they do have to say they stand by. And I think most of the, the uh, state candidates are following that, or many of them are following that, whether they have to or not. And that uh, that should give the public a little bit more confidence when they hear that uh, versus the so-called uh, dark money, as, as we call it. Well, and that's what it is. Yeah, it, it, yeah and uh, it is well out of hand. There's no question about that. And, uh, of course, both sides, uh, both Democrats and Republican groups, take advantage of it. It depends on who has the most money and the biggest cause at the time. Yeah. And, uh, it's, uh, but it has, I, you know, I wonder if it really has a lot of effect, you know, you and I know a lot of the people that run a lot of campaigns and basically they all tell you that they're really fighting over about 5% of the vote because most of the people have already made up their minds. Well, it didn't happen. It didn't happen in Ted Budd's case and it didn't happen in several other cases on May 17th. So well, now that, that is, that, that's definitely true. I'm Although not sure we can buy into that. It only works for 5% of the electorate. Let me say this. If it didn't work, why would club for growth be spending $30 million in North Carolina? Oh, I, I'm talking about uh, in the general election, and I'm basically talking about the last two or three weeks because yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I've said for a long time that the politicians would be wise to start their campaigns on pu public media much earlier than they do. Me too. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think some of them are finally doing that because, uh, um, you know, if they wait to the last two weeks, there's such a clutter of ads that nobody hears. So much noise. Yes, yeah, yeah, noise. Exactly. And, and the other so. part of it is, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm pretty well baked in who I'm going to vote for uh, a month. I mean, there, there could be some things that could happen that would change it. But yeah. otherwise, I pretty well know who I'm going to vote for. Yeah. And, of course, early voting is also now uh, something that we didn't have 15, 20 years ago to the extent that we have it today. And uh, that also changes the whole picture. So totally. a lot of changes in politics. The thing that I guess we're all worried about more than anything else is apathy. And, uh, you know, generally speaking, the public just doesn't seem to be nearly as in tune with issues, uh, all of the issues, as they should be. They usually pick out one or two that are key, and they stick to that. You know, well, issues you like them? Roe versus Wade. I mean, 
listen, this is, and this is one of the things I do not miss about doing my television show. Politics has gotten so nasty, so ugly, so hateful uh, that most people have just gotten. So they say, I don't want anything to do with it. I tune it out. I don't listen to it. I can't tell you the number of people who say, I don't watch any news on television. I don't listen. I don't read any news in newspapers or anywhere else anymore. I'm just so fed up with it all. Well, that I understand that the problem with that is um, then what happens to democracy? What happens to government? What happens, you know, to, to people who are running for office? And then people who do watch uh, or listen tend to listen to the sources that are, they already agree with. So they yes. don't have an open mind on issues. They get uh, a support for the position they already believe. Right. Right, and uh, so they dig their heels in more and more, and uh, you know it's uh, uh, it, it, to me it's a shame. I, I think people ought to always listen to the other side, even if you disagree with it. I uh, I've watched both Fox and in CSNBC, and uh, sometimes I find myself talking back to both of them. That's good. That's okay. <laughs> screaming at the television. Yeah, it's screaming at the way, television set. A, later, a new way to relieve stress. But be sure that you, yeah, but be sure you do both sides and uh, you just can't uh, listen to one side of an issue, especially if you already already believe in that uh, particular position. That's what we tried really to gives do. You on, support. That's yeah. what we tried to do on NC Spin. And yep. uh, in large measure, I felt like we were pretty successful with it. Well, I, no, no question. And that was one of the reasons for its popularity. And uh, unfortunately, as you know, uh, it's programs like this and North Carolina spin, but you know, really these are not uh, well, I mean, you know, you talk about what do we reach? 5% of the population, maybe. Uh, yeah. 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 My, my, my audience numbers on NC spin were pathetic. I mean, for as many people to be telling me that they watched it, I couldn't prove it because the Nielsen's weren't there. Well, people just uh, are not as tuned in as they were at one point in time, at least in my opinion. It seems like to me that uh, um, that people are uh, have more of a uh, pullback. And, and I think you're right. I think it, a lot of it comes from uh, the disgust that they have with the way that the uh, politicians carry on and and uh, become so partisan. And, it, th- you know, this is not a Democrat or Republican no. issue. Both no. parties are doing the same thing. Yes. Well, and, and there's so many other sources available. I mean, you talked earlier about the fact that there were three TV stations in the market and uh, one newspaper in town. And uh, typically, of regardless of how many radio stations there were, generally only one that really did much news, local news, um, like WPTF. And so, but now you've got so many other choices. Yeah. And then, then there's social media, which is compounds the issue completely because a lot of things on social media, you don't know who wrote it or, or where it came from. And very often it's just not have, true. And they don't have to have any veracity. I mean, no, they don't I, have to be able to, it's, the truthfulness doesn't count in social media. And we've all been taught that if it's in print, it's it's supposed to be accurate. So right. we, we start with that position. And the truth of the matter is so much of what's on social media is not vetted and uh, is not necessarily true. And uh, even if it is, it's usually uh, slanted. Slanted. Yes. yes. Very slanted. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we could get into 
a large segment, and I know that you've done this before on the what's happened to newspapers, and we competed against them for a number of years, but good Lord, I sure do miss having a good newspaper to tell me more about what's happening with the county commissioners and the city council and the school board and uh, some of these organizations. Well, it's a shame. I, I think if you ask, uh, our time is running out of this segment, but I'll pick this back up later on. But I think if you ask a number of people to name the city council, say in Raleigh, North Carolina, I would be shocked if more than 10% of the people could name the city council. At 20 years ago, name. At 20 years ago, that those would have been household names. Yeah, name even one name on the city. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, as I said, this segment is running out, but we have another one coming up, and Tom Campbell will be back, and we're going to talk about gun control, Biden's approval rev, uh, level, student loan forgiveness, gas prices, and more when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers right here on this group of stations. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Play puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Longtime friend Tom Campbell is our guest. Tom uh, uh, had a very interesting career in a number of areas, but uh, I guess he's best known for the 22 years that he was on the air with North Carolina Spin, which ended its run in December of 20. After what, a thousand and how many shows? 1,154. 1,154 shows. That's amazing. Um, well, Tom, uh, let's before we get to some uh, talk about the gun control and uh, President Biden's approval level and so forth, tell us a little bit more about what you're doing these days in your semi-retirement. Semi-retirement. Um, I'm still publishing a weekly newsletter every Friday. Uh, it's free. It's called The Spin Cycle, and uh, I sure would like for people to go look at it and see what they think about it. You can sign up for it by going to our website, ncspin.com. If I can do some shameless self-promotion there. You can. Uh, we have we have about 5,000 people a week who are getting it. And I'd like to see it increase. Uh, in this newsletter every week, I make a point of making sure that we have people on the right and people on the left and 
and people in the middle, uh, some well-known uh, people. For instance, I have John Hood on uh, every every week with his newsletter. Uh, Lib's even doing uh, columns now for me um, in the newsletter, uh, and I do my column there, and and that's primarily that. And um, I write a weekly column that I distribute to newspapers across the state, which is posted on our website. Uh, and I've got about 15, 16 stations, uh, uh, papers across the state that pick it up and cover it. And uh, papers like Wilmington and Newburn and Rocky Mountain, Wilson, uh, Statesville, uh, pe- uh, papers like that. And so I write, I keep my hand in uh, for being able to stay involved with issues and, and being able to talk about it. And I, I enjoy doing it. And, and that's candidly about as much as I want to be doing. So basically, you're just no good at all anymore. Well, I wasn't. I mean, you know, <laughs> the scale did not move down appreciably, if you want the truth. Of I'm doing a lot of gardening now, uh, and uh, uh, we swim in the swimming pool, as you know, and uh, we we just en- we're enjoying life. And well, that's a good thing, and it's. Uh, uh, but I'm glad that you're staying active because your opinions are treasured by those who follow it, and. Uh, it's good to have those uh, those opinions because my mama we used that, to love them. Well, you know, the one thing I've always said about anything that you have anything to do with is it's always fair and, and well covered. And so Thank we you. appreciate Thank very you. much what you do. Let's talk a little bit about uh, gun control. And of course, we've had some real tragic situations recently that brought this back up. Do you think anything is actually going to come out of this? It never has in the past as far as any substantial changes. Do you think, uh, and by the way, I was looking at some research for my class reunion and uh, ran across a headline in 1960. Gunman shoots two teachers and children in school. Yeah. So this is not something new. We Right. Uh, but So it's been going on for a long time. But anyway, uh, uh, what do you think is uh, the outcome of the, uh, the current study, I guess you'd call it, or the uh, consideration of, uh, of a number of legislators toward maybe making some meaningful changes this time. Do you think anything will happen? No. And I'm sorry to say that. I wish I could tell you that I thought it would. I think the sad part about it is that the NRA has bought and paid for uh, politicians up and down the line, uh, which include congressmen, as well as, as people in our local legislators. Um, the, the, the plain and simple truth, Don, is uh, it's out of control. And uh, I think there ought to be a, a way to be able to give some reasonable regulation of, of weapons and guns. Uh, I, I will defend to your right your ability to be able to own a shotgun or a hand, you know, even a, a handgun for that matter. Uh, AR-15s. You can't justify that, in my opinion. There's only one reason for an AR-15, and it's to shoot people. And the average person just doesn't have threats that warrant shooting mass numbers of people like that. And yet uh, there are people, the NRA has, has this mantra, this, this philosophy that the boogeyman is out to take away all your guns. And that's just not the truth. Uh, but I think that uh, I don't know what it's going to take to finally get to a point where uh, we're going to have to to uh, take some action on this. Uh, it, it's 
Sadly, uh, Michael Moore, who is very liberal um, uh, writer and philosopher and so forth like that, said that the thing that he saw was that Republicans loved their guns more than they loved their children. Uh, and sadly, some of that feels that way with just the adamant position of, hell no, we're not going to do any kind of gun control. Uh, and yet, I think that uh, background checks, I think that um, the red flag uh, laws that they're talking about, someone with who's been diagnosed with mental problems, being able to own guns, raising the age of, of people who can buy certain classes of, of weapons. I think some of those are very reasonable propositions and, and deserve to be passed. And, and I applaud President Biden and I applaud those who are seriously trying to get something done about it. <clears throat> I, I just hate to admit that at the end of the day, we've had too many situations like this occur before and it always gets beaten down. And so we will have another Rob Elementary School that is going to happen. And I don't know where or when or uh, how many will be involved, but it's going to happen again. And after it does, we'll get this hue and cry and gnashing of teeth and all of the, the television coverage on all the networks about how pathetic it is and interviewing the parents of the children or whatever. Um, and they'll make an awful lot of noise about it. And then two weeks later, everything just dies down. Well, uh, that's certainly been the track record. Uh, tell, tell me a little bit about uh, Tom Tillis's involvement, because he seems to be taking a position that's not totally inconsistent with what uh, uh, a lot of other Republicans are taking. You know, I, I will have to tell you, uh, uh, Tom Tillis says and does votes a lot of ways I don't approve of. But I always found him when he was, was Speaker of the North Carolina House. I, I always thought he ran the House very well and did a good job of uh, holding the center of the road. And I think that in this particular instance, he's right on this issue. But here's the sad thing about it. He is, he is getting crucified by the people of his own party for being willing to take a reasonable stance on trying to do something to control guns. Uh, and, and I think that says a little bit about where we are as a nation today it is that you're either you're either for me on every single issue I've got or you're my enemy. And all he's trying to do is is to try to bring some common sense to this whole thing. Uh, and I think it is is I mean, I think he needs to be applauded. Um, I don't know whether he is right on all of it or not, but I, I think he is certainly his heart's in the right place. And you got to give somebody credit for that when it happens. Let's move on now and talk about the <laughs> low approval rating of President Biden. It doesn't seem to change no matter what comes up. Usually when we have a war, the president usually comes out with a higher approval rating. We are not in a war, but we are certainly supporting a war. Uh, what do you, how do you read that? Well, I think, first of all, it's, it's tragic that Joe Biden has run into some of the circumstances. Look, he doesn't deserve a lot of what he's getting. There's no question about it. I mean, he really can't do that much to affect inflation one way or the other. He can't affect gas prices that much one way or the other or the price of bread or much of anything else. 
I, I do think that the Biden administration, I will tell you, ha- has been a disappointment to me. I would have, I would have hoped for more from him uh, than he's got. But I would also remind you that if you'll go back to uh, Ronald Reagan's first term, his uh, approval rating at this moment, at this point in time, in his first term was around 40%, which is where Joe Biden is. And we know that in, in that election, he came back and won a second term and captured one of the largest numbers of states uh, and, and went into the president, returned to the presidency uh, with one of the highest electoral counts. So this is not a situation where it cannot be rectified or turned around. I, I think that I think the difference is I don't see Biden and I don't see the Democratic Party doing things that could turn it around. I don't see them uh, being smart about the issues and speaking to the issues in such a way that they can really affect and and bring up his approval ratings. Because frankly, um, not only is there, uh, I think his biggest risk is always the president with the party in power, uh, the president's party, always loses seats in the off-year elections. And I think that, that that's going to happen. Uh, whether control of the Senate and the House will change dramatically. I would say it probably is, but who knows at this moment? A lot can happen between now and November. Well, as as uh, President Clinton, I think most uh, is the one that said this, although many others have said it, it's the economy, stupid, and people yeah. are worried about gas prices. They're worried about the supply chain. They're worried about uh, uh, the, the uh the, they are worried about inflation. Um, uh, well, and yet, uh, many other aspects of our economy, uh, other what, what aspects can, of our economy are going quite well. What can Joe Biden do about the supply chain? What can he do about gas prices? It's, it's very, very little, actually. Well, uh, I think the point is that uh, somebody you're going to take it out on somebody. Well, and, yeah. and, and, you know, uh, so he's the most likely target to take it out on, I agree with you. There's not much. I mean, the supply chain problem was there when he went into office, and uh, and uh, all the elements of that uh, the economists were looking at that called for inflation or a downturn in the economy were all there when he went into office. So, what, what's happened here? And I'm not an economist, but I do read people who are. There are too many people chasing goods and services with too much money, and when that happens, and too little supply, and when that happens, the prices are going to go up. That's inflation yep. at its yep. purest, purest level. Well, the prices of homes are going up radically, and you know, it, you, especially here in North Carolina. Of course, whatever recession or downturn in the economy we have, North Carolina is going, is going to fare pretty well because our economy is in pretty good shape. We're doing very well. We're seventh, uh, seventh highest rising. It was a report today I read about in the nation of the, yeah. among the seven states, uh, forty uh, among the fifty states. Oh, you're up to fifty states now. Well, uh, I had to stay up late at night sewing on flags, uh, stars. <laughs> but yeah, I got there. Uh, I uh, again, I, I'm having a reunion this week, and of course, during my period in high school, we uh, added those two states. We added two stars when we added Alaska and Hawaii. Now, here's a very quick trivia question. 
See if you know the right answer. Which one came in first, Alaska or Hawaii? Ooh, I don't know. Alaska came in first. You know the old joke about that. No, you but you better tell it in a hurry. You, you pick up the telephone and you say, how are you? And the yeah, person on the right. other end says, I'll ask her. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. That, that, that was a pretty good joke, and you did it in time. Our guest <laughs> is Tom Campbell, and we have one final segment, and uh, we will sort of talk about uh, uh, a number of issues, but the economy is going to be the top one when we come back with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Tom Campbell. You stay tuned. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Tom Campbell. Tom has been on our program dozens of times through the years. And uh, back before he uh, really lost his uh, good senses and good judgment, at one time he was actually a broadcaster owning and operating radio stations. Then he sort of got carried away with doing uh, things in front of the camera and that sort of thing. And at one point in time, of course, Tom was also the assistant treasurer for the state of North Carolina. So he's done a, a number of interesting things in his career. And Don, I, tell people, I tell people all the time, uh, I was on television for 21 years, but I will tell you, I much prefer radio to television. It is a much more personal medium. I mean, you, you have a closer connection to your listeners and get more instant feedback from them. And you don't have to put on makeup. Well, I have a wonderful face for radio anyway. Well, that's that's the reason. I, that's the reason I'm in radio is I have a face for radio. Uh, that was uh, John D. Loudermilk, who wrote a, uh, from Durham, North Carolina, wrote forty million seller records, including Talkback, Trembling Lips, Abilene, A Rose and a Baby Ruth, and many many others. But uh, he wanted to be a performer, and Chad Atkins called him in one day and said, "John, you're a writer, and you're a good one." And you're not a performer, and there's a reason for that. You've got a face to be a writer. Uh, well, let's let's talk. Let's sort of wrap things up by talking about something that we've talked about. Sort of, we've hit it in a number of ways already. 
But uh, this general uh, thing of where do people get their information, apathy, uh, opinion versus facts, uh, this, this whole thing is uh, getting to be a real difficult situation where uh, 20 years ago we had uh, television stations and people watched in droves the 6 o'clock news, the network news. Uh, those numbers are declining. Uh, we now have all these multiple uh, sources of information, many, many cable channels, all of which seem to be uh, taking a very decided point of view, and their news is certainly slanted toward that direction. Uh, and then we have seen the influence of the newspaper just about completely die away, the local newspaper. So, Tom, where do you think we're going with where we get our information and how we process it? Well, I worry about that, Don, because, I, you know, irrespective, uh, the newspaper had a very valuable purpose and provided a very valuable service uh, for, for years and years and years. And, and was well read. Yes. And, and, and well respected because of the fact that the coverage they provided generally uh, was pretty straight up, straightforward, not biased all that much. I was interested, by the way, while you were talking, I, I brought to mind, CNN has gotten a new head now of their news network. And one of the things that he said was he wants to move that network away from the biased uh, reporting and talk show hosting to more of, they're, they're calling this term, there's a big term that's going on in the media right day, now today called nuance. Uh, is it unnuanced or is it nuanced? If it's nuanced, Fox News, for instance, is nuanced. There is just no question in the world when you watch Fox what you're going to be seeing. The same is true with MSNBC uh, and, and uh, some of the other uh, outlets that are available. And what this new head of CNN says he wants to do is he wants to move them back toward even though they're going to probably continue doing the talk shows, because that's a pretty cheap way to produce uh, television, frankly, and uh, they make a lot of money off of it. Uh, they're going to continue to do it, but he wants to do it so that the biases uh, of the host and of the guests that are on it uh, are less obvious and or more balanced. And I applaud him for that. And I, I wish him well in that effort, because frankly, I think it is, it is something the public deserves. And I hope that people will tune in and, and watch it. And through the audience numbers, you'll find out that he was in fact right about it. But otherwise, um, you, you were absolutely correct in saying earlier in the program, people self-select the news that confirms the biases that they already had. Well, okay, let's let's chase that rabbit for a minute. Uh, how are you learning anything if all you're doing is just watching sources that confirm uh, what you already believed? How are you going to grow any insofar as opinions are concerned? And, and by the way, this applies to whether you're on the left or the right. Uh, I, I happen to think I'm one who is more moderate in the center. That's how I'd like to be anyway. Um, but how are you ever going to uh, make a difference so far as the, the attitudes of the people are concerned? What we got right now is demagogues 
who come on and yell and scream at us. And if they do it loud enough and often enough um, and uh, frequently enough, uh, sooner or later, you get people to believe a lie. It doesn't make any difference whether, you know, there's any truth or any factuality to it or not. You just keep repeating it. Well, that's how Adolf Hitler took over Germany, if you remember, um, by telling the Germans that the Aryan race was by far the superior race and that Jews were an inferior group of people and uh, all of this kind of stuff. Um, I hope we can get to a point where uh, we are more discriminating uh, than some of the stuff that we are hearing and seeing. Uh, oh, and you know, one of the things that uh, I'm going to uh, remind you of, because you go back to that area where you were Tom Terrific as a disc jockey. That was your name on the air. Tom, Tom Terrific on the radio. Okay. But the FCC had a rule at that point in time that all federally licensed radio stations and our TV stations had to do at least 5% of their total programming and news. Now, what that required was that even local stations, like stations in Kings Mountain and, and uh, uh, Wilson and Rocky Mountain and so yeah, forth, yeah, yeah. Uh, the only way to meet that requirement was to do five minutes of news every hour. And so the public was force-fed facts about uh, world and national news, uh, national news, international news, and state news. They were force-fed. They had to listen to it. And it wasn't biased presentations of it. Oh, no. No, we were reading it right straight off Associated, Associated Press. Press. Rip and read is what yeah. we called it. But uh, because they were forced, they got interested in it. And uh, so I, I go back and say this, this period of apathy actually started when the commission allowed, uh, especially cable channels and also radio and TV stations, to do away with that five percent rule of course you know the cable channels don't worry about five percent they do an hundred percent well but, but there's also another rule done that you remember that was very very important in in this and they had what they called the fairness rule the, the fairness doctrine equal, yeah. equal time rule in other words if you took a stance on an issue and uh, in your newscast or editorials or whatever like that you had to be willing to allow someone from the other side to come on and have a same amount of time as what you took to rebut it. Yep. Reagan, during Reagan's term, they got rid of the fairness doctrine. Uh, and, and frankly, I think that was one of the biggest mistakes that's ever been made in, in North Carolina or in, in the nation so far as broadcasting and television. And then the other thing that I think was a, a huge mistake was they virtually have no controls whatsoever over cable no, and, no, e and even no. less than that over social media, Facebook, yeah. And Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm sorry, but I do, I'm, I'm of the opinion that there need to be some checks and balances. There needs to be some controls. If, if the federal government is going to give you a license to operate that radio station, because theoretically they're public airways, if they're going to give you that license, there ought to be a corresponding responsibility for what you do with that license. Well, I mean, the whole uh, free enterprise uh, became the the, uh, the way of the uh, way of life in broadcasting, and basically, it became the only way that commercial broadcasting could compete with That's cable because cable, right. as you said, had no rules whatsoever. Oh, they did, yeah. and and I never did understand. Uh, 
why cable was allowed to get by with. I mean, as a broadcaster, I looked at it and, and started thinking, hey, listen, how come you're giving these folks free ticket to do stuff? Because you can say what you want to, but cable essentially is licensed. You remember the day when the local city granted the franchise to a company to uh, open up the cable system. Yep. So uh, I, I don't know. I, will we ever return to a time when there is re-regulation of public media? I don't know. I don't know whether there's enough. I don't know whether enough people with enough backbone to be able to even suggest it or do it. Well, it's certainly not something that's going to happen in a highly partisan period of time as we are now, because whichever party is in control would try to slant it their way. So it wouldn't be fair. And um, and, and both, you know, I'm a registered independent and I can tell you that both parties when they're in charge are going to try to control it. Uh, Listen, they've all got feet of clay. They're about the same. They're just coming from it, uh, just different positions. Yeah. And, uh, and this is the reason so many people are registering as unaffiliates. And now that's become what the, uh, the largest political group in North Carolina is unaffiliated. Yes. Yep. And it's going to grow even larger. Part of the reason for that, frankly, is that I think people are realizing that political parties don't really have any purpose anymore anyway. I mean, essentially, they're just fundraising machines to funnel money to candidates. What bothers, uh, me most, what bothers me most about that is all the unaffiliateds are actually taking themselves out of the possibility of serving in office. Okay. And this is something that our, our state needs to do very badly, and I'll, I'll hit it very quickly. We need to change the laws of North Carolina to allow an unaffiliated person. Ballot access rules need to be changed so that you don't have to sign all these thousands of petitions in order to be able to gain access to the ballot in the elections. And we can do that, but it's going to take, uh, take, again, some people with backbone to do it. And the two political parties aren't willing to allow it because they don't want anybody playing in their playhouses. I mean, as it is right now, you're either a Republican or a Democrat. Uh, Unaffiliated should be able to get their names on a ballot and run for office and stand a chance of winning elections if their ideas are good. And I mean, just the, the, the number of people that are taking themselves out of the possibility yes. of serving in public service is, is a huge number now. And that's, uh, that's not good. That's just well, certainly what, not So good. what's happening now is if you decide you want to run for public office, then you change your political affiliation and you become a Democrat or a Republican. Yeah. Well, that's kind of two-faced. Well, and not only that, but then the party says, well, he wasn't a real Democrat yeah. or a real Republican. He's a rhino yeah. or Dino or whatever. Well, Tom is all gone. Tom Campbell, thank you so much for being with us on Carolina Newsmakers. We'll look forward to you being back. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Uh, our guest uh, will be back with us again soon, I hope. And until that time, we hope that you and yours have a very good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.